You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We're finishing a series called Afterlife today. We have been going five weeks on what happens after life. We've been going through it, and you all have been doing it. So thank you so much. Incredible job. We've been doing some weird stuff. Is today going to be less weird? No. But it gets less weird after this. And so uh, thanks for powering through. I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been insightful about uh, that mystery of the great beyond. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to send them. We'll do our best to try to answer them at the end if we have time. I will pull that up now in case I see any come through. Just to let you know what's coming up after this, as we head into the month of November before we get ready for Christmas, we're going to do a series called, uh, it's going to be called Divine Interruptions. Because it's a season that has a lot of interruptions and a lot of running to the store and a lot of running into people at the store and a lot of having people over, let's look at how Jesus dealt with interruptions and see if we can't take something away from our Lord and Savior's interaction with the people around him. So four weeks on divine interruptions. Let's get into today. Today is our celebration of All Saints Day. What is that? That's a weird Christian holiday. One of the top ones for Christianity throughout Christianity, throughout the the, uh, Christian religion. Uh, We're going to talk about what that is today have a little bit of that. Really what it is is about remembering our dead, remembering the people in our life who have passed on. Christians have always remembered their dead since the very beginning. We have scripture, if you read Acts 6, 7, 8, you see the martyrdom of Stephen, the first martyr for the faith. And when people would be killed for their faith, Christians started remembering their dead celebrating their faithful witnesses and life. It was very important for us. For the first 400 years of Christianity, it was on May 13th, which is the day after my birthday. It's a great week. It's a great week. Sometimes the, the Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, in fact, the Romans, right, the Roman pagans built this building called Pantheon. It was a temple to all the gods. Christianity took over, and we made it a church for all the martyrs and saints. That's what it's called now. There's a lot of people buried in there, like Raphael, not the Ninja Turtle, the artist. <laughs> took this over, and we made it, to, and, and the Pope consecrated it on May 13th, 609 or something like that. 609, May 13th. And so the Christians for a long time celebrated it on May 13th. But May is a terrible month for spookiness. It just is. I mean, just not fun at all. It's beautiful outside. It's, you know, just crushing amazing weather. You want to start going to the beach. You're not really interested in the spiritual things. And so in the 800s, we moved it over to November 1st. We switched it on over. Partly because there became so many Christians that died for their faith. During the persecutions, there were 10 great persecutions in Christianity. So many people died for their faith that it was hard. We were, we were having feasts every day, which is one of the things I love about this faith is we're just eating every day. But they said, that's too much feasting. Let's have one day. 
where we remember all the saints. And so you get All Saints Day or All Hallows Day. They turn it into a three-day holiday. And this is what it is. 31st, 1st, and 2nd. Halloween comes from All Hallows Evening. Evening, the evening before All Saints Day. Hollow and saint are the same word. You say it in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to say it later. Hallowed be thy name. It's the same word. And so they took, some people call All Hallows Day, some people call All Saints Day. We got Halloween from All Hallows Evening. Then there's All Saints Day, which is the day we remember the saints. And then there's All Souls Day, and that's when Christians have remembered everybody. Everybody. So there's your history lesson on why this holiday and how it came about, why it's over here in November, what it's for. But uh, as always, we try to ground everything we do and believe in God's word. And so I think there are three main reasons why Christians have remembered their dead so prominently, made it such an important time in their calendar year that it's turned into even a holiday that we have around here. Three main reasons. As you know, we preach here, head, heart, hands, something to know, something to feel, something to do. What does God want us to know, feel, and do, or experience so that we can get the information, turning it into transformation, turn that into activation, getting a holistic faith that moves to us, through us, and back out into the world. And so three reasons why Christians think it's important for us to remember our dead. What does God want us to know in the midst of that? I think most importantly is this, death is defeated, and it is to be mocked. Jesus defeated death on the cross, trampling down death by death is the old Christian refrain. By his own death, he defeats death, and we mock it. We remember our dead to remember that death no longer has ultimate power over all of us, and even though we might die, it is not a forever victory, it is a short victory, and so one of the reasons we remember our dead is to remember that Christ defeated death, and we get to mock it a little bit. Paul is mocking death when he says this. Death has been swallowed up by a victory. Where is your death? I mean, where is your victory, O oh death? Where is your sting? He's making fun of death, which the ancients thought about death as, as kind of like an entity. We kind of have this in our culture too with the grim reaper. But you're making fun of death. You're making fun of it. This is one of the reasons why we remember our dead is to proclaim Jesus' victory over death and to get to mock it a little bit. Like I said, trampled down death by death. We participate in Jesus' trampling by our own mocking of death. And so we celebrate Christians, martyrs, saints. We don't celebrate their birthdays. We celebrate their death days. We flip the whole thing on its head. Their death day became their birthday into everlasting life. This became even more important than their actual birthday. In Christianity, we don't celebrate the day they were born. We celebrate the day they died. And we call it a feast. We mock it. We get to make fun of it. Because Jesus defeated death. It no longer has hold on us. It is not something for us to be afraid of. It is something for us to make fun of. It reminds me of a clip in Harry Potter. There's a scene where one of the professors is trying to teach them how to do some spell, some magic trick, and it was like, 
Whatever you are most afraid of, if you flip your wand at it and say ridiculous, which is like the worst writing I've ever heard of. It's just like ridiculous. These spells are not very creative. They have ridiculous. You guys are mad at me? <laughs> big HP fans in here. HP heads. Some, uh, anyways. Um, you flip your wrist at it and you say ridiculous, it turns into something ridiculous and you have to laugh as part of the spell to make it happen. Here's 30 seconds of two people doing it. Lights, camera, action. That spell name is ridiculous. So, just kidding. I'm just I'm losing my congregation as we speak. Jesus defeated death. I'm like, that spell name is ridiculous. So you're like, I'm out. That's too much. We do not critique J.K. Rowling. Making, they take the thing they fear most and they get to turn it into something hilarious. This is what we've done with death. This is what Christians have been doing when they take and remember and celebrate those who have died. They take their bones and they parade them through the street. Christians have been doing some morbid stuff for 2,000 years because we are proclaiming Christ's victory over death. There's a monastery that has... If you died in the monastery, they just stick your skull on the shelf, write your name right on top. Go to church with you still. You're not done going to church. You think you got out of it? You're still there. There's some monks in Rome. They, they dress their, their brother monks up, their skeletons up in their old robes, holding signs that says, uh, as we are now, so you shall be. There's catacombs. I've been through them, just piles of bones. Whole churches made out of skeletons, human skeletons in the east. We are mocking death because Christ has defeated death. In a, in a really simple and profound way, this is where this tradition comes from. People started dressing up in the 1100s, 1200s, 1300s, especially in Europe. They called it soul caking. They said, we would pray for your deceased if you give us a cake. And they would show up in costumes. And part of the costumes is that our children are dressing in the thing that the rest of the world is afraid of. Mocking it. It has no power over us. Part of the reason we remember our dead is to celebrate. Jesus' victory over death. This is Athanasius, one of the great figures of the church. 
At one point, he was one of the only faithful bishops left professing the truth of who Jesus is. There's a Latin phrase they still use to this day called Athanasius Contramundum, which means Athanasius against the world. It was just him against the world trying to proclaim the truth about who Jesus is. And he prevailed. He won. Though he was uh, threatened to be killed, he was exiled many times, he was kicked out of his churches, though to be brought back. He was a bishop for about 50 years, became a bishop at 28 years old because he was so brilliant. He's got a great quote that I think about often. He says, if you see children playing with a lion, don't you know that the lion must either be dead or completely powerless? In the same way, when you see Christ's believers playing with death and despising it, there can be no doubt that death has been destroyed by Christ and that its corruption has been dissolved and brought to an end. One of the reasons we remember our dead is to proclaim Jesus' victory over death and participate in the mocking of death's powerlessness to hold us forever. What does is, what is God want us to experience in all this, in the remembrance of dead? Why do Christians do this? Why are we encouraged to do this as Christians? Partly because you belong to a supernatural church. That's what Christians, that's what scripture wants you to know. That you belong to a church that is supernatural. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we don't want to believe it. But we do belong and believe in the supernatural Hebrews 12 says that you have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says that you are the body of Christ and parts of each other, and there won't be any division in the body. Romans 8 tells us that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord, not even life or death. Just because you die doesn't mean you don't belong to the church, as I said already. You're in it for life. You don't stop being the church just because you've died. We have different categories of church that you get to be, but you don't get to exit out of it. <coughs> church militant. <coughs> That's you. You're the one who's on the ground, boots on the ground right now, trying to proclaim Jesus' victory over death. You get to be called the church militant. Good luck. Godspeed. Church triumphant are those who have graduated on to glory, who have passed on to the other side. They've died. These are the saints that have passed on, and they get to be part of the church triumphant. It's still one church. There's no division in God's church. We call this the communion of the saints. We proclaim it in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the communion of the saints, that we are still one body. Many of our oldest Christians say that our churches are full right now, of angels and martyrs and saints worshiping the Lord with us. This is what the churches have been trying to convey when they build stuff like this, that Christ reigns over the cosmos, and with him, the angels and the saints and the martyrs. And if you were in a church like this, looking up at some dome and not some plastic insulation, that feels like it would just be make me less holy. You know what I mean? Like, I need some plastic insulation to keep me humble. You know, this is... But if you looked up and saw this, what it was meant to convey is that you're not by yourself. That you belong to a supernatural church. You belong to a church that exists from time immemorial to time all the way in the future. A continuous stream of church. 
And just because you graduate into glory doesn't mean you move out of the church. We are still all together worshiping and praising God. I belonged to a church one time that had an, an elderly woman in it who oozed holiness. Uh, this family had come from a different country. They had experienced some religious persecution. Their kids were being threatened because of their faith in Christ. And so they came to America, and, there was, and they brought their mother, who was an elderly woman, but couldn't speak a lick of the language that I have ever talked to her about. But you could just tell from her countenance, from the way that she held herself, that she knew Jesus well. I got to lead worship at this church, lead music, and we did two services in a row. And sometimes after the first service, I would try to figure out all the stuff I need to fix before the second service. And so I'm in the middle of just trying to get stuff ready, telling people what they did wrong, figuring stuff out, trying to get all the details right. And she wanted to stop the pastor and I, this woman, and let us know that there were two angels in church with us, reflecting and magnifying the glory of God. Now, I don't know if she's right or not, but it stopped me in my tracks about figuring out all the details and minutia of trying to make the best thing the best thing. And she reminded me that we belong to this thing called the communion of the saints. This woman had a, a touch for discerning the supernatural in a way that at least was compelling enough to make me rethink what I was doing, how I was doing it, why I was doing it. We're worshiping God, right? And we get to worship God with all the saints, angels and archangels. This is one of the great scholars of scripture, still alive, also a bishop in the church. His name's N.T. Wright, one of my favorites. Um, and he writes in one of his books called Surprised by Hope, since both the departed saints and we ourselves are in Christ, we share with them in the communion of saints. They are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we worship at church, they are there with us along with angels and archangels. One of the reasons we remember our dead is because even though they pass, they're not gone. Even though their bodies are asleep, their souls are awake, and we are church with them. They are not forgotten. They are not gone forever. We remember our dead to remember the supernatural reality that Jesus has called us into in the midst of this. That's the weirdest part of the sermon today. So take that or leave it. Uh, but that's one of the reasons why Christians have remembered their dead. What does God then want us to do? Why do we remember our dead? And, and how can it be helpful for us in our actions, in our faith moving forward? For me, I think this is the most important part. And the most compelling part to me, as I have tried to do what the ancient Christians have done, it's that what we celebrate is what we will emulate. That, that there's an encouragement to make the saints our heroes. Because there's a lot of things competing for our attention. There's a lot of things competing for our time and our eyesight. And there's a lot of things the world wants us to emulate, to make an example for us. And the church has always said, we need to remember the saints because they are the example that Christ wants us to follow. We need to remember their example if we want to live a Jesus-filled life. We remember the dead to make them our example. 
James, the brother of Jesus, writing in his epistle, says, Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of patient resolve and steadfastness. Look at how we honor those who have practiced endurance. Look to the saints who have gone before as your examples, not whoever the world is telling you to make your example. Peter, the apostle of Jesus, says, you were called to this kind of endurance because Christ suffered on your behalf. He left you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Example is wildly important. We didn't have a finished scripture for like almost 300 years after Jesus ascended to the right hand of God. So how did we pass on the faith? Through faithful witnesses to the truth of Jesus and important examples of what it means to follow Christ in the world. Examples became wildly important for centuries. And so the world is going to put things before you like these folks, right? They, they want these people to be your examples. And the church says, well, what about St. Basil the Great? The dude invented hospitals. I mean, he literally invented, he's like, let's start a hospital and anyone who needs to come to it can come to it for free. Like, those are the people we should emulate, not these people. These people go to the hospital a lot, but it's for more surgeries, Right? This, sir, you go to this guy's hospital. This is what we're about. Or even this, right? We put these people forward. I'm, I'm getting ready to say bad things about them. Break my heart. We put these people forward as examples to follow, standing in a stadium, giving up their backs and their brains for cash. St. Perpetua stands in the stadium to proclaim the good news of Jesus, dies for her faith, being killed by Roman soldiers and bulls. This is the kind of people they want you to emulate, people who stand boldly and courageously for Christ in the midst of a stadium. Not for cash, for Christ. Or these people who are constantly on our TVs. I got conservatives and liberals up there. Don't get mad at me. Constantly chatting at you, giving you fake, fake news, giving you their opinions about what you should think, feel, and believe. Don't emulate these people. They're doing stuff for paychecks. Trying to divide you, keep you angry, keep you upset, keep you afraid. I'd rather you emulate these people. Who are these people? I don't know. Just some church grandmas? <laughs> these are the saints you should be emulating. The one who the whole world thinks is not cool but is absolutely in Christ. The people you should be dedicating your whole life after their example, just faithfully showing up, faithfully making things run so that people continue to have minimal barriers to meeting Christ. You want to be these people and these people and Christ wants you to be these people. We remember the dead so that we can remember the things that Christ values and calls us to. Albert Schweitzer says, Example is not the main thing in life. It's the only thing. If you don't know Albert Schweitzer's story, by the way, how handsome is this, dude? I just kept looking at these pictures. I was like, man. Dude, also, by the way, br like a once-in-a-generation brilliant mind. They call him a polymath. He was good at everything, expert at everything he put his hands to, and also handsome. You can't have it all 
Albert, save some for the rest of us. Uh, he started out being very good at organ. He literally figured out like Johann Sebastian Bach and like showed the world things they'd never even heard of when it came to Bach. He was a organ savant, just killed it. Then he decided he wanted to become a minister, and so he went to school to become a Lutheran pastor, got a Ph.D. in theology, started preaching. Uh, then he started teaching at the seminary, also still doing organ stuff. He paid for all of his education through organ recitals. Brilliant mind. Then he went back to school, and he got a Ph.D. in philosophy and wrote a philosophical work called Reverence for Life. It was so good and so impactful to his generation that they gave him a note Nobel Peace Prize just for writing about some philosophy. And then he wrote a book called The Quest for the Historical Jesus, and it changed, it changed biblical scholarship for about 60, 70 years. Everyone who wanted to talk about scripture after him had to talk about what he was talking about, the quest for the historical Jesus. And at the end of writing his books about scripture, about Jesus, about his faith in Jesus, he said, I'm tired of talking about Christ. The world needs an example of Christ more than they need my words. One of the most brilliant men in the world said, I'm done talking about it. I need to do it. Which is how you know I'm not very smart because I'm sitting here talking about it. So then he goes back to school at 30 years old and he becomes a doctor, MD. And he travels to the heart of Africa and he opens a hospital out of a chicken coop. And he spends the rest of his days helping as many people as he can heal because he felt like he could emulate Jesus and Jesus' healing ministry. He's the guy. It just turned into an incredible hospital. He's, he died there. I mean, who doesn't love <laughs> some chunky twins? This is the greatest. Example is not the main thing in life. It's the only thing. The most, one of the most brilliant men of his ages got done with his study of Jesus and said, I need to go be an example of Jesus. I need to go be an example of Jesus. This is why we remember the dead. We remember the dead to give us examples of how to follow Jesus well right here in our context, in our flesh and blood, in our shoes, because sometimes we read scripture and it's a different culture written 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago and the saints make it real and they give us examples of how to live Jesus well. And with that... I believe it's time for questions, though everything is frozen on my end. Yeah! You got my conclusion too soon. Questions. I got two questions. Um, somebody, made, somebody sent me a meme. Halloween is a Christian holiday. Everybody like, cool, got it, thank you. Me, Harry Potter spells have dumb names. Everyone like, how dare you? <laughs> somebody said, I'm mostly jealous of that man's mustache, which is true. I don't grow a good mustache. I wish I could grow... A good mustache. I appreciate the jokes. This is my favorite part. It makes me know that you're paying attention. If you have any questions, feel free to send them. I'll do my best to get through them throughout the week. But my conclusion here as we head into a time of communion is this. 
Christians remember their dead as a vital practice for our faith because it helps us remind us that Christ's victory over death, that he has been victorious over death. This is our, our mockery of death. We turn their deaths into birthdays. We celebrate Jesus' action on the cross and resurrection. We remember our dead so that we can remind ourselves that we belong to a supernatural church, that we are not just here isolated as an island all by ourselves, but that we belong to something that extends into the past and all the way into the future, and we worship alongside immortal beings that are proclaiming God's goodness alongside us. And it reminds us to make, ultimately, this is how it's important for me. If you don't want to believe the other stuff, that's fine. If you want to believe this, this is why it's important to me. It helps us make the right people the examples for us. And this will give us helpful clues on how to live a life well. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you. That this community here in Thermalito can join in with your church all around the globe, past, present, future, and supernaturally to proclaim your victory over death. The thing that we as human beings are most afraid of, you are victorious. Thank you for reminding us of that here and now in this season. Help us, Lord, to make the right people the right examples that would give us a real direction of what is good and valuable and true and beautiful and that we would let go of the worldly things that want to distract us, that want to replace your values, your kingdom, the things that you want for us. Ultimately, Lord, we are grateful that we get to come and remember our beloved those who have gone before us, those who have walked this path, those who our hearts still break for when we say their names, you have a season for us to actively and openly remember the beautiful souls of the people who have been so impactful to us. Our world gives us no space to grieve, to lament, to mourn, and yet you have built into the calendar of your people a time to remember, to grieve, to lament, to mourn, but not like the world does. To lament in a way that reminds us of hope, that reminds us of life beyond, that reminds us of your goodness. As we come now to a time of communion, would you help us to enter into a, a time of worship, a time of adoration, a time of drawing near to you, belonging to that supernatural church who worships you, and remembering as we proclaim your victory over death with the bread and the cup, which are signs of your broken body and spilled blood, be a declaration, a gospel, a good news for us that you are victorious, even for us. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.